Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Hello and welcome to the Inner Huddle part three of our Pezza's coaching special. And in these episodes, hopefully you've been listening to the other parts, but we're trying to answer some questions 25 in total or actually one came in this morning so possibly 26 maybe more um, questions that have come in from all over the place some of them are frequently asked questions that we've put in there um, some like I say have come from elsewhere and some that we've put in because we'd like to explain yeah and I'll apologize now because it's been a week or two since part one and two so I'll probably repeat myself well, and, and a lot I, of what we do is repetition. I think we'll probably get on to that, Jeffrey. I've picked up a bit of a cold as well, so you have, you're apologies, a, I've got a cough sweet in. You're a little bit croaky. I think it suits you, Jeffrey. I'm not going to lie. Pesky. Right, you've got the sort of master list of questions there, and I've actually got a few notes down here. Cool. Um, but hopefully it won't sound too scripted. We'll add a little bit of value. Are we ready? Yes. Let's, let's dive right in. How can my child get spotted by professional clubs at Pezzers? Right, an interesting one, because first and foremost, we don't really want that to be what Pezzas is about, do we? Um, Pezzas is about the training and the process, and getting scouted is an outcome. And if parents and children aren't careful, they can become a little bit too focused, and I've seen it reach obsession on that outcome of getting a signed contract at ProCom. It doesn't even matter what club. It's just any club where they can say, I've been signed, I've signed a contract at a pro club. And it's happened a lot, hasn't it, Jeffrey? Yeah, for me it feels a bit like it's a parent chasing something, but I think a lot of the parents have cottoned on to how you feel about this. <laughs> and will say, oh, it's not coming from me, it's coming from my little... A little tiny tip. Yeah, he just really wants to play matches and he's just desperate to be scouted. We're all desperate to be scouted. I'm still desperate <laughs> yeah. to be scouted. And I understand why, but the the danger is that obsession then takes away from the important thing, which is the actual yeah. quality of training and what you're doing in your own time. Yeah, and it comes back to that mindset of, oh, he's really good, so if he gets seen enough, he must yes. be scouted. It's exactly then it. He just needs to see what I see. Yeah, but. and it just needs the opportunity mm-hmm. and the right person at the right time to spot what I see and they'll get signed. And actually, I don't want to use the word obsession, but if you could use that energy... And desire. And desire into actual the actual training, then your child would actually have a much better chance of being good enough to get spotted. So you couldn't be ignored. No one gets missed anymore. Unfortunately, that's not always the answer people are looking for. No. So they tend to ignore that and then go and look elsewhere yeah. for the answer they want to hear. Yeah. Well, do you know what? That's the best answer. Put it this way, if, and this isn't for everyone, it's only a, a small minority, but if you're spending hours and hours in the car taking them to different matches and different trainings and different organisations and soccer schools just because you think they might have an opportunity to get scouted, then you're probably making a mistake because those hours in the car and those hours actual playing in the matches, you could be training even individually. And it doesn't have to be with us and it doesn't have to be through what we do. There's plenty of stuff out there on YouTube and online, individual drills that you can do to actually give yourself a better chance. And it's what Ronaldo did. He spent years just individual training. And he's still doing it. If you listen to all the quotes about, you know, players who wanted to be the first to train in a new club, so they arrived two hours early and Cristiano Ronaldo's already out there practising individually. It's not rocket science. But the flip side of that is... I am a scout at Southampton Football Club. So there are opportunities to develop, especially, obviously, Southampton Football Club. Now, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, obviously, as we said, we don't want it to be the focus. And I've actually spoken to Southampton Football Club recently and said, I'm struggling with this a little bit because after a certain period of time, if Tiny Tim hasn't been spotted by me, parents start looking for it elsewhere if they're that type. And there's some children I haven't put in because I actually care for them too much and I don't want them to be put into that environment, which can be a very, very difficult environment, especially if you're, you're not used to it. I mean, for instance, if Tiny Tim... I don't know why, <laughs> don't know who Tiny Tim is. But say he goes to a nice little village school, he's played for his village team and he's doing well in his little league and all that kind of stuff. He's then suddenly thrust into a six-week trial playing with big inner-city lads. You're training with them in, in an environment where they don't want you to succeed. 
because yeah. you might take their place. The parents of the other children that you're going in don't want you to take their child's place. Um, and then in the match time, you're going to play against, you know, your Fulhams, your Chelsea's, your Tottenham's, big inner city teams, and it's it can be rough um, and a big jump up from what they might be used to. So I always look at where they are maybe psychologically, emotionally, as well as just how good they are. Um, it's not just about a case of getting them in there because it's a six-week trial and you've only got six weeks to prove yourself. And you also have to be better than what they've already got if you're at a certain age. So yeah. if you're under nines and above, you have to do a six-week trial. It's not about just going to these places and fitting in, is it? It's not about going there and coasting along. You've got to be what level? As a rough guide, I've been told this not just by Southampton, but in general, you probably have to be in the top five of what they've already got to come in and take another to, child's to place. Take another child's place, yeah. and it, that would obviously make sense, wouldn't it? Because swapping like for like yeah. and, and ruining a child's dreams is, is really, really. But they've got a duty important. of care towards the kids that are already there it's, too, haven't they? Exactly, yeah. and, and they have attachments to these children too. They've yeah. been working with them quite a lot, four or five times a week, whatever it might be, and and to get rid of one for someone who comes in for like for like it's just not really going to happen so you're already up against it so I try and look at the whole picture with it before I put anybody forward but of course I develop attachments to these children and maybe I go a bit too far the other way where I'm overprotecting them so I've had a chat with Southampton Football Club and we've come up with an idea that other scouts are going to come in to our training sessions at Academy and at the Futsal Club so that they can have a second opinion on any players that I'd like a second opinion on and also just to watch so that I don't give them any of my biases Yeah. Um, by saying, oh yeah, watch him, watch him, they're really, really good so they can just come in, everyone's got a blank canvas and a, a fresh crack at it. That's Always fair. trying to do the best for the for the children but it's it's a very difficult thing because I'm really passionate about children shouldn't be told they're not good enough um, to get to the level that they want to get at and it's... It's, it's a very sensitive subject. Yeah, it's easy to say this, but everyone develops at a different rate and a different speed. And you never know, sometimes, do you, with a group, who's going to end up... And it can happen in a short space of time. Suddenly someone goes from struggling to your top performer in two months, can't it? It's, yeah. It's a very up-and-down process. Sometimes they go backwards, sometimes they go forwards. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's quick. So if you don't get a yes straight away... it's it's not the end of the world either, is it? It's not It's not time to throw the towel in. No, and, and I'm going to throw it out there and be perfectly honest. It's a guessing game because you haven't got a crystal ball and you can't look into the future. It's a very well-educated guess. Yeah. And you can compare it to other children that have got to a level that are at, you know, what they were like when they were that age. But you're still guessing. Yeah. And for me, it's too important to just randomly guess. Now, I could throw loads of people in, uh, but I couldn't sleep at night if I thought, I've thrown those in so that we get a few stats and people think this is the place to go so that they get a chance here, there and everywhere. But then they haven't got to the standard. They've been released and now they don't like football anymore. Or they've cried in their bedroom for two days because they didn't get in their trial. And I just can't have that on my conscience. So I'm very particular with it and I'm aware of it. And I've spoken to the people at Southampton Football Club. Once that's happened, there's also a possibility of inviting in other clubs. Yep. Because Southampton have a very particular type of player that they want. Other clubs have different types of player they want. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because you haven't been spotted, because that seems to be the word now um, by Southampton Football Club, there can be opportunities at, uh, at others. So I'm yep. currently, and we did it with our elite training camp with older children, didn't we? Obviously, we had Southampton Football Club there and we invited Chelsea in. Um, Bournemouth and Bournemouth so I'm um, working with other people to do that again and do it to all the age groups so that everyone has got a chance but again don't want it to be the focus because the focus should always be on the training which is the process and then those outcomes should take care of themselves you don't need to keep chasing them everywhere yeah and then you've got to remember each scout and each coach has their own bias don't they so massively if, if you were if you played the game and you played on the wing, you might be looking for something completely different to someone who was a goalkeeper or a centre-back or a striker. Or You're going to have different biases, so it doesn't mean one person's opinion is. That's your lot, either. I have, um, I have a bias towards small, tricky wingers who are quick, because I can relate to them, because that's what I was like, and sort of the underdog as well, which I always felt I was, because I wasn't the biggest. And I have a natural bias towards those, and we actually do a lot of CPD courses at Saints where we discuss these things and and see how we can get over this problem. I know Brad Andrews at 
Saints, he has a similar bias towards lefties because he was a he was a left-footed player, and you don't even realise you've got them, but they're quite natural. Like some of centre midfielders who are aggressive ball getters have a natural bias to that type of player, whereas I possibly don't. So just because I haven't picked out your child yet, it doesn't mean that they. That's why it's such a great chance. idea getting other scouts in. Yes, that bias is almost removed, isn't it? Yeah, something we've discussed and and learnt from from been doing i mean i've been a scout there for about two and a half years now um, and it has worked i think don't know where our list is we've got about six or seven that have gone to southampton so it does work but much more important to me is making sure that everyone's looked after and that there's a pathway for everyone yeah and we've obviously if you've been listening to the other podcasts or you might have seen it by now is this partnership we're having with wiltshire college to offer an educational pathway now into doing btech course with them getting the equivalent of your A-levels so that you can go on to university, which actually is miles more important to me. Yeah. Again, it was quite a short question, wasn't it? We yeah, probably... I think you've done well there answering it, boss. Well, all of these you kind of want to answer as broadly as you can and try and explain things. There might be someone out sat there going, I think my son's really good and good enough for academy. Why hasn't Perry put me forward for it? And but the answer would be, come and ask me. I'll always tell anybody what I think and what they've got to do. And actually, what they've got to do is keep focusing on the training. Everything else will take care of itself if it's going to happen. And it might not happen at under six, sevens, eights, nines. It could be when you're 17, 18, 19, 20, or even later, like Ian Wright and Jamie Vardy and people like that. Should put that one to bed? Yeah. Okay. Question number 14. Do you want to ask question Right, okay. Jeffrey. Yes, Pez. Do children pick up bad habits playing indoors? And I presume this is because a lot of our training is indoors. Over to you. I've written an answer to this. No put, way. Put, Stop. I put no, they pick up good habits. Okay. Uh, and when I was young, I used to play a fair amount of cricket. So not, not a bad standard. And in cricket, you would always say you won't develop a technically good batsman playing on a terrible wicket. So if the ball's bouncing okay. and it's not true and it's not doing what it's supposed to be, you won't develop your technique properly. And I think the same goes for playing futsal indoors because the floor is true and there's never a bobble. You're never playing on a mud bath. Uh, So if you're in a mud bath in centre midfield on a Sunday and it's chucking it down, your manager's probably just going to want you to stick your laces through and get rid of it (laughs) rather than building up uh, quick clever passes and technique and being a playmaker and finding your way through that mud bath. You're going to struggle to do that and people that will excel are the the big lads at the back that tend to launch it long and your small tricky wingers and your strikers that run onto (laughs) the end of it because the ball's held up in the mud and hopefully that explains where I'm coming from where they pick up good habits playing indoors because you'll always it's pure technique yeah it's pure technique yeah and done it high speed and and all that kind of stuff yeah I mean we could go into the benefits but as picking up bad habits I've just put absolutely not yeah so that's what I think of it Um, I'm not sure what they're getting with the question sometimes a lot of our players playing indoors use the sole of the foot because there is no studs and there's no um, terrible pitch to deal with. And and I've heard quite a few times managers of teams berating children for using the sole of their foot in matches. And I think it's an old school thing. Yeah. Uh, where you did have studs and you played on bad pitches. And, you know, FA page one manual, coach manual will say you control the ball with the biggest, widest, safest surface, which tends to be the inside of your foot. The game's moved on since then. I can remember being coached not to use the sole of my foot because it can go underneath your foot while if you angle your foot properly it can't physically go underneath your foot can it and you'll pick up these techniques by playing on a true surface you would never try that on a bobbly pitch with someone slinging a ball at you it wouldn't be a good technique to use in that circumstance isn't it but you need to have all the skills in your locker to deal with any situation if you want to be a complete football player so players like Luis Suarez and Coutinho and people like that Always manipulating the ball with the sole of their foot. Iniesta receives it with the sole of the foot nearly, nearly every time I'd, I'd watch him. And people take away from watching Iniesta that he always receives it on the back foot. But actually, he receives yeah. it on the best foot. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in the best scenario. Yeah. yeah, the best way he can. There's, um, there's no e- easy magic formula taking it on the back foot. The, the great thing people might not realise <laughs> about receiving the ball with the sole of your foot is you can get your head up and scan more because you got the other sense of feel where you can actually feel where the ball is if you've received it with another part of your foot it's liable to bounce off and then your attention and your focus will be looking at the ball rather than where the opposition at where the teammates are where the goal is if the goalkeeper's off his line and all those different things that you can pick up 
if you receive it with the sole of your foot, you know where the ball is, you can get your head up and you can develop other parts of your game. doesn't mean that occasionally a child won't let it slip under his foot yes. and all that, but then there's no reason why it won't bounce off the inside of their foot either. Children yeah. make mistakes and you're trying to... Actually, we might get on to this later, but you're encouraging them to make mistakes to learn from it. And it's not. we're not saying receive it with the sole of your foot every single no, time. No, it's another tool in your locker. Yes. And some use it more than others. Um, some use it a lot. But that's just preference, and then it's like everything else, using it in the right places at the right time. I think um, Firmino did a lovely pass to Mo Salah with the sole of his foot, sort of rolled it in like a back heel roll. He didn't obviously use the sole of his foot. And then Mo Salah bent in the corner just the other night. If it's being used at the top level, you can't just dismiss it. And we talked about it in one of the other parts. You can't dismiss something. You see how your players can use it and how you can embrace it. I had a job interview with a pro club once upon a time, didn't I? And they are we really I, going down that road? <laughs> uh, yeah, I coached receiving the ball with the sole of your foot, yeah. and they they told me not to do that. And um, you said, "Well, well, well you go on." <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. But <laughs> it, it, it's not changed since I was in some areas of the game. Since I was nine or ten years old myself, twenty-three years ago, people are still saying that kids don't receive the ball with the sole of your foot. Well, it's a bit like the toe punt. Yes. Oh, he toe punts it. And we're going to go on to toe punts. There's people who've made careers on toe punts, yeah. like Romario. No, there's a difference, isn't there? There's, a, there's, a, toe punt, does there's it. a toe punt from someone at the back. Yeah, he's trying to get a bit of distance yeah. on it and hoof yeah, it forward. No technique. Yeah, I get that. And there's a toe poke, which is a way of beating a goalkeeper without them realising you're even having a shot. Yeah, the, the science behind the toe poke, I mean, we'll go into it now, um, is that the goalkeeper and defenders can't read the signals. So if you've often wondered why a pro tennis player can react to a serve at 100 and odd miles an hour from someone, whereas if it was you and I, Jeff, we'd just stand there and not see it. Well, actually, their mind and their signals that they're sending to their muscles is preparing for that receiving as soon as the ball's thrown up in the air because they're going off signals that they've yeah. learned through doing it over repetition from over so, time. What's the ball toss look like? What does the server's hips shape look yep. like? Where where are their eyes looking? What's where? the angle? Where's he looked? Where, all of those things they're they are instantly processing in their brain to make more, a more guess. often than not without even realizing they're doing it just because yep. they've done it so many times. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very subconscious thing, and it and it's formed in the brain um, down the neurological pathways so that they can react quicker. Now it's the same in football. Goalkeepers have been subjected to so many shots they can pick up on the signals of where the trailing leg is, standing foot, body shape, position, all that kind of stuff. They can make a guess and then their brain starts going that way before the ball's even kicked. Toe pokes, they can't read those signals. I'm glad you cleared that up on the sole of the foot question. <laughs> it wasn't even the sole of the foot question. <laughs> what was it? It was, uh, do children pick up bad habits oh, yeah. playing indoors and moved on to sole of the foot. That's but how this show play, works. Playing like. futsal indoors will... Probably you're more, that's where the Brazilian Ronaldo picked up his toe poke finish. That you know, yeah, so it beat is the best crazy. goalkeepers like Oliver Kahn in the World Cup. It's that's you could call that a bad habit if you don't like a toe poke, but we love it. So I'm saying you pick up good habits and you pick up different techniques that you might not plan yeah. on, a, on a mud bath. Don't get me wrong, if your players are doing nothing but toe pokes, <laughs> it's wrong. And if they only ever shoot using a toe punt, then you have to probably look at why are they only using toe yeah. punt because they can't use other areas. But if it's an add-on yeah. and it's working, it is very effective. So, again, I think this has been a running theme. Don't dismiss anything. No. If it works for that child, let it be. So, children don't pick up bad habits playing indoors. I've actually put children move a lot better and have better technique, make better decisions from playing indoors. As it wasn't a what are the benefits question, I think we'll leave it there. Okie dokie. Question your number turn. 15. Yes, Jeffrey. Does your individual training just train children to be greedy? Football is a passing game! Exclamation marks. Yeah, um, we had a quick look at these before we went on air. It actually seems to have been written in quite an angry tone, doesn't it? A couple of exclamation marks at the end. Oh, do we kind of half answer this before? We've answered it all before, probably at some point, but people might just forward to these questions so uh, i think you said something along the lines of individual our individual training methods help children to be good um so if they're greedy then yeah greedy's a mindset yeah. and that child would probably be greedy whether he was good or not but okay 
some of them might develop into being so good that they try things a little bit too much but then it's the skill of the coach even the parent definitely not to coach it out of them but to try and help them and set an environment um, of where they learn where and when to and that's a psychological thing that's a mindset thing it's not even a football thing and doing something as obvious as you limiting them to one and two touches is completely wrong if you're a coach who only does one and two touch passing in training who only does it There's, there yeah. might be a place for yeah 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 okay for saying first time finish or something yeah to develop a part of a game but yeah if you're only doing that because you think your players are greedy then you're taking away their ability to it's not a magic formula is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So, right, well, we'll limit everyone in training to two-touch. I hear it a lot. Yeah, they weren't passing, so we're only allowed to two and three-touch. We've been doing it most of the season. If Messi had been told he can only do one and two-touch yeah. his whole life, as much as Barcelona love their tiki-taka, he wouldn't be the player he is, would he? I've actually written here, it's one of the biggest killers of creativity, imagination and self-expression in this country. I can't say it more firmly than that. Yeah. You're putting a ceiling on their talent, possible talent, and development by playing two or three touch football but it does have its place like you said it might be every now and again you can do it so you can set the tones and say well that's how i'd like you to play when it's on when it's there but not to restrict that creativity and self-expression we just limit in where your your players can go it's like being in a band and only ever letting them play bar bar black sheep and twinkle twinkle little star on their instruments they'll get really good at that to a certain level but then to be good at football they need a lot more than that they need to be able to practice their instrument and experiment and make mistakes and learn from it so they can make their own music simple otherwise they're just just playing your music yeah and you're not coaching individuals once you do that either are you that might be a great session for one type of individual in your session that likes to play in a certain position and but if you only ever do that training session you're dismissing the rest of the kids that you could be helping. Massively. And you might have, like you said, mm. the next big talent in there and you're putting a ceiling on it. You might have an area of the pitch where it's only one and two touch in the centre circle or somewhere you can only play one yeah, and two touch. Yeah, have fun with it, experiment with it, but it can't be yeah. a magic formula that you're using to get them all passing. A much more effective way to do it, and we did talk about it in one of the parts, is actually you do nothing but praise passing. Yeah. so they can do the greatest dribble, the greatest run it can go back to the greedy player as well ignore it, even if they take around everyone and score you try and get the culture of not praising that but then when that person passes or when the team pass, great pass, good pass well what a pass that is, all that kind of thing or even what a great pass into the net when they score all of that, it's just pass, pass, pass and then subconsciously the children start thinking oh, he really likes it when we pass it's, you know, kids like praise so only praise the passing for a while and see how it goes and I think you'll find that's a small cure that can have a massive effect for your team I've also put here there's no point in encouraging a passing game if the person they're passing to can't receive it Yeah. you know because then it all falls down so you have to do a lot of individual training to get comfortable on the ball to actually be able to receive it and there's different levels of receiving it it's one thing receiving it in space there's another receiving it with your first touch to where it should go. There's another being another confidence to receive it at different heights and angles. What, another thing with your head up. Another thing when you're being marked. Another thing in tight spaces. Back to goal. It's levels. Wise, yeah. It's levels. So that's really the answer to this question. Does your individual training just train children to be greedy? Our individual training helps children to be comfortable on the ball. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? And then it's down to the coach to set the environment that you want to have a passing game. I ran a team four seasons we had no pace in the team and we we really struggled so we decided that we needed to move the ball a bit quicker yeah and and develop a passing strategy so for pretty much a whole season all I did or we as a coaching team was praise the passing and it and it really really worked and they were definitely even though they had other shortcomings they were definitely the best passing team in that league or they tried because they were comfortable on the ball and we'd set that environment Anything else from you on that? Oh, I've got a quote here from um, Johan Cruyff, the great Johan Cruyff. He's said about passing, to be able to touch the ball perfectly once, you need to have touched it 100,000 times in training. And I think that sums it up. It's, I see a lot of managers, they want to play a passing game, they, passing game, they see Barcelona, Man Cities, and they try and find a shortcut to get there. So three touch, two touch, three touch limitations would be 
a shortcut to get there. Um, forcing the pass all the time, shouting out pass all the time, is trying to create a shortcut to get there. Well, Barcelona players are very good. Yeah. So they can do it, and there's no shortcut there. They've become comfortable on the ball through individual training, mixed in with passing training and a culture for years and years and years. And uh, what did I write here? About it being a team game. Um, people say it is a team game, so why do you do individual training? Um, and I put, I'm a great team player, but I didn't end up playing at Manchester United or in the Premier League. And the reason I didn't get to that level was because I wasn't good enough individually. It's quite simple. The game is played by individuals. Yeah. It's a bit of a myth that it's a team game. It, obviously it is, but it's played by individuals. And you have to be good. Otherwise, we'd all be playing professional football. You're a great team player, Jeff. Thanks, mate. But unfortunately, you weren't good enough individually, mate. <laughs> you know, it's simple, isn't it? <laughs> Have we answered that question? Yeah. Do you want to add any more value? No. Question number 16. <laughs> My child struggles with the skills. Is Pezzas not the place for him? It's cause Beautifully no, read, Jeff. There's no punctuation. Whoever typed this up has stitched me up. I can't reveal names. And it's I'm looking not at fair. you. Yeah, I typed it up, yeah. Um, in answer to your beautifully well-read <laughs> question, um, no, it sounds like it's the perfect place for you. On many different levels, we've talked about skills in previous part, but just seeing that something is possible and trying it is such a powerful thing. Especially if there's peers around that yes. can do it, yes. So coming into a session, I've seen, oh, I can't do what they do, I can't do, do the skills, so well, nor could they. Yeah. And they've done it through a process of training. So that's the obvious answer to that is, no, it's the perfect place. You come, you try hard, and you learn from it. I put it opens up neurological pathways and lays down myelin. Um, and you'll, if your child comes in with the attitude of, wow, that's great, I'm going to learn those skills, I'm going to try to learn those skills, um, it's that powerful, you'll see a massive improvement very, very quickly. Now, Pezza sessions aren't somewhere you should be intimidated by because people are good. You yeah. should be inspired by the children that are there that are good because it just proves what a bit of effort and hard work and listening can actually achieve. Good answer. Yeah, come on, you've got to add a little bit to that. There's not much more you can add to that, is there? It's, it's exactly that. If, you, if you've got the right mindset, then you apply that to the syllabus. You're gonna, you're gonna go far. Yeah, I've seen this before, where a parent will say to me, "Oh, he's not a tricky type player. He's not like a winger or a taser. He's a no-nonsense defender." I don't think Pezzas is the place for him because it's all about skills, and we talked about that just recently. Mm. But it's the perfect place for them because it's not about skills. It's about getting comfortable on the ball. It's about becoming a master technician of your instrument, which is the football. Yeah, if I am going to add anything, even adults that I played football with that were very, very good football players, when I asked, do they want to come out and try a bit of the futsal that we do, the adults teams, they say, no, I'm not that sort of player, mate. And I think, well, there's a there's a place for every type of footballer in futsal. Yeah. And there's a place for anyone that wants to improve their individual game. Yes, it might be, OK, so you play at the back and you're not that type of player but would being more comfortable on the ball help you? Would being two-footed help you? Would being able to deal with it in tight spaces and under pressure help you as a defender? And, of course, the answer is going to be yes. So yeah. well, you'll get that through futsal. You'll get that through our training. Um, so even goalkeepers. We have goalkeepers come because the modern goalkeeper now has to be really good with his feet if he wants to get to a level. Yeah. Or even if he just wants to play to the best of his ability. You know, they, they have it the ball will play to them under pressure and in tight situations and they can come out like a sweeper keeper and things like that um, and they're a big part of the team and Pep Guardiola always says if your keeper's got the ball and someone has to go and shut your keeper down you've made a space for someone somewhere else on the pitch yeah. has to happen and then they that's the trigger that's your overload before you've even started that's your trigger but the keeper mm. has to be very comfortable on the ball to have that and then when that goalkeeper's closed down then the space is exploited all over the pitch. That's their trigger. So, yeah, we have goalkeepers that come just to get better and more comfortable on the ball. So we're obviously going to say it. We think it's for everyone. But it's, you know, it's like saying, 
I'm not so good at my instrument, would going to lessons to get better at my instrument help? Well, yeah, of course it would. It's not rocket science, I don't think, but I do understand where the question comes from because there is this perception that it's a load of stepovers to try and beat people and be fancy flicks and tricks. That's a myth. It's about being comfortable on the ball. That's quite often it's the most exciting time for us if someone comes through the door and they're a good player already, but they don't do this type of... They don't yeah. play this way. It's not their style. But that's when we can go, right, we can really add value to this kid. Yeah, that's the exciting part because you see it rapidly. So, yeah. OK, so you're already a good player. We're going to make you miles better now because you're going to take those things and you're going to be able to do them in tighter spaces you're going to be able to receive, receive the ball quicker you're going to want the ball more because you're more confident and you're just going to go up and up and up the levels if you're already mentally strong you've got loads of mates because they're socially good and then you're going to come along and we're going to help you with your technique final tick in the box almost isn't it absolutely great question question number 17 follows on quite nicely ok well, shall I read it because yeah. you read the last one so wonderfully <laughs> um, question number 17 I've heard that Pezzes is great, but only for really young children. Is that true? It sounds like it could have come from the same person, that question. It quite well possibly could have come. It sounds like this person is scrambling to find a reason why they shouldn't be sending their child or children, or probably it's the manager of a team that has children coming to us and is trying to find something, a reason for their children not to come to us. See it as a bit of a threat, which again is nonsense. It's an add-on, isn't it? You going to go? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got age groups now up to under 15s. Yep. Um, so, no, it's not only for really young children. And we passionately believe that we can help any player. We've coached individual training techniques to several Premier League and international mm-hmm. players. If that's not enough evidence and an answer to your question, then I don't know what else is, really. I um, I think this is actually a question which is more in line with pro clubs. I've got a feeling that I know where this has come from, and it's it's to do with we have a lot of the younger ones are the ones that get signed at professional clubs. Oh, okay. So by the time they're a little bit older and they haven't been signed, then actually they're saying Pez is only good for the young ones because when they get older, the rate slows down for players signing. But we've had... Having said that, in the last year, we've, we've had 14s and... 13s and 14s. Yeah, I think Finn Tonks and Kean Tideman were both what, under 14s, yeah. both signed. And again, it just goes to prove about an earlier question that there's not a set time when this might happen for you. Yeah, and they were in a team where players were getting signed at under nines, weren't they? So yeah. you're talking an eight and nine and ten year old have been signed from the same team that they started out in. And it's happened a lot later, which goes again back to one of the other questions with a, a later developer and you don't know. Yeah. And greatest respect to those uh, those two, Finn and Kian, um, and others that have signed a little bit later because they stuck at it. They could yeah. get frustrated and they could see um, you know, others signing and think, actually, I'm as good as not better than him, which is quite a natural thing to think. And they've stuck with the programme, they've stuck with the individual training, and then a little bit later they've had their chance. And it could be there's other people who would be even later than that from that particular group. Yep. Fair play to their parents as well for not touting them around and taking them to different places to give them the opportunity to get spotted because it, it takes so much more than just opportunity and playing with and against better players to get to the level where you've fulfilled your potential. You have to you have to train and you have to train in the right way and you have to maximise that training time. That's the process. Fall in love with the process. It's a dead simple message. In answer to this question though, because <laughs> I've gone off again, it is true that there is a magic age of learning. I always thought it was between five and seven. Since I've been doing this, I think it's more like between four and nine, where they are like sponges. And that's more movement patterns and taking in, you know, the go through the science again, the myelin building on the neurological pathways seems to stick and seems to increase and be better from sort of that age of four to nine. And it's perfect with what we do with our Yeah, if a child comes in at those ages and sticks through all those years yeah. we're fairly confident they're going to come out the end of it looking like a Pezzas player aren't, aren't we Yeah. I mean, whereas if they come in later than that they could do the same amount of time and training and they still might come out the end of it perhaps not looking like a Pezzas player would you agree? yeah well I've made a sweeping statement in the past which has been thrown at me a few times but where I said if you give me ten children of four and five years of age that absolutely love football um, and listen and work hard I can, will get them, or we are, meaning Pezzas, 
will get them technically good enough to academy standard football by the time they're under nines. And I believe all ten. I think I actually said in the statement nine out of the ten. I don't know why I urge my bets, but I believe that's technically. Yes. And there's a lot more to it with the, you know, we look at the four corners, which you can remind us what they are: psychological, social, social, technical, technical, physical, physical. So there's a lot more to getting signed, but the technical aspect of that, I believe, we can get them all up to academy standard, and that's Premier League category one standard master technicians by the time they're under nines the other bits more complicated and there's other variables and factors that come into it Some maturation no control over which we have no control over but just the, the techniques and if the children want to learn and they're in love with football in the process i don't think it's that difficult that's where i got hammered before by saying i don't think it's difficult i don't i really believe no, that well those three other corners are complicated and yeah. complex but the the technical corner, we think, is... Yeah, we have a syllabus that we've researched and worked on for years and years, and it works. Yeah. The other areas, like I said, are different variables and factors from peers, teachers, school, parents, siblings. All these different factors come into the other four corners. But the technical side of it, I, don't, I can't see a problem with it. What is the question? <laughs> have, we, have we gone off on one again? It's um, not just for really young children. Ah, yeah. And then the other part of that doesn't mean once you get to nine, you stop doing technical training. You keep going. And even yeah. if you've never done technical training at 12 and 13, come in and do it because you will improve at any age. George Plank, one of our coaches, was he 24 now? He said his game has improved since he started coaching this, yeah. let alone trying it. And he goes up the field now and, um, and does his own individual training. Ronaldo still does it. I can relate to that as well with George because I was technically pretty pretty average and I'm still technically pretty average <laughs> yeah. you don't practice enough yeah we can do some one-to-ones if you like <laughs> cheers mate <laughs> um, and I have also written here we have done work with Jay Rodriguez Alex Oxley Chamberlain all when they were already professionals so I think Chambo was 17 and just signed a pro contract when I worked with him Andy Reid Gaston Ramirez there's been others Charlie Webster. You worked with Adam Lallana, didn't you? Adam Lallana, yeah. Sorry, Ads, how could I forget? <laughs> you know, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie Webster, that was it, who's, um, at the time of this, is an under-15s at Chelsea, doing really well. He's just come back from an injury, actually. And he still comes in for one-to-ones when he can fit them in, and he's actually a residential down at Chelsea. So he's only home at weekends and, and very little, and that time's precious, and we still fit in some one-to-ones because he knows how important that individual technical aspect is and he likes it because he comes in he just wants to get his enthusiasm back and learn a few new things and sharpen up to get back out there to give him the edge and his game was built on that yeah. you know he strolled in as a it's going to say scruffy but his mum and dad might be listening as a little five-year-old with big hair and his dad just wanted some babysitting time when he went and played squash um, and, and he really took to the individual side of it and never went anywhere else Doing really, really well. Right, good answer. Long answer. Question number 18. Last one before a short break. Last one before a short break. I think we're ready for that short yeah. break, aren't we? Right. Am I reading it or are you reading it, you sir? You better read it after my last question. <laughs> question number 18. What's the biggest difference between what you do and what's available at local teams? Goodness. Jeff, I've actually written your name here. Okay. As an add-on, really, not as... The, the beef of the the meat of the question but um, one of the reasons is you you're well, one of the reasons is me Wiltshire Coach of the Year so it means you've been recognised by the whole of the county for what what you do which should never be underestimated how important an achievement that was and your coaching qualifications I won't get you to list them because we'll run out of battery and tape but you've come up all the various different pathways haven't you so You've got your UEFA B Level 3 football, your UEFA B Level 3 futsal, and you've got your age-appropriate ones as well. Plus, goodness knows what else. Yes. I've just thrown you on the spot there, mate. Yeah, but with, I've always had in mind since the first day I met you that that stuff's great and it shows a dedication to what you're doing. So anyone else that's gone out and done qualifications, it shows a desire to go and better yourself and improve, but it's just a bit of paper that shows 
you've completed something the way some other people like it being done. In this case, yeah. it's the FA. But is, it, you know, in, in, not want to pick you up too much, Jeff. But you've looked at that and gone. I don't want to just have a shortcut one pathway. I want to do the football, the futsal, and the age appropriate, and take the bits out of all of it yeah. to fit in with what I already know and do. You had um, a quest for knowledge and a thirst for knowledge, and you did the lot. But since I've met you, there's not been anything on those courses or a, a way of coaching that's eclipsed the work we do at Pezzas. Well, like what we do. Yeah. Like what we do. And and that's why we love it so and, much. And the, the formats do change over the years and we do different things and we learn and we improve it. But a session today still looks very similar to a session five years ago. The core principles haven't yeah. really changed. Yeah, that's it. Some of the things that we've thrown in and added especially on the psychological part because as we've gone on I've actually got more interested in the psychology behind it and what the stuff that the um, courses that Southampton Football Club put me through as well really has got me thinking about how you engage with children and the environment that you set to get the best out of individual children Um, and that's what I'm interested in but the technical core principles no they haven't changed for all the years we've been doing it but to answer this question the biggest difference is one's team training, one's individual training. So if you're just looking for a very basic, what is the difference? I always start with that because it's a different mindset. Ours is unique. A team training, and I've run my own team, so I know that this is how the mindset goes. You are training a group. Yeah. And you're training a group to combine together as a group to win a match. And the match is an objective and an outcome and that's your focus and you're trying to win individual matches win a series of matches to maybe win a league depending on what age group you're with that's your objective how can i get this group to win a game at the weekend and it's a shared objective and a shared goal and okay there are things in there to help individuals but it's a completely different mindset and to explain that further with the mindset is one embraces mistakes so what we do yeah is a mistake-ridden culture mindset. Team training tends to be a no-mistake culture. So they try and be perfect and they try and knock mistakes out of people and the mindset is, you could have done that better, you've given the ball away here, you know, don't do that, and it's all very kind of negative, no mistakes. Our culture is completely the opposite. It's set an environment where the children can make as many mistakes as possible. That's the difference. And then they learn from those mistakes naturally and through guidance with us. And it's a completely different. There's some children come in, they've only done team training, terrified of making a mistake because they've been shout, not shouted at, but told in a team environment not to do it. Yeah. You know, and then they end up kicking the ball out, hoofing it long. They have a fixed mindset to training where they don't want to be shown that they can't do something. They become quite scared and sometimes not very confident. And children can get left out and left behind. And this is the sole reason why you started a, a grassroots club, wasn't it? To, yeah. For children that were coming to us in this culture were then getting very good very quickly. People were coming into our sessions and going, he's good, he's good, he's good, or she's good, she's good, and yeah. taking them out to their... To put them grass- in, then in, a, in a culture where they weren't allowed to try the things that yeah. they'd learnt. In their grassroots club, which is fine. But the the difference in that player after a year that would then probably come back because they've stopped enjoying it um, was sometimes... D- didn't even look like the same person that was coming back into a session. So. Yeah, we had one player in particular who, I won't name the club, but someone came to watch our sessions because it was a bit of a pool of talent it was seen yeah. um, and spoke to the, the parents while the session was going on and he left to join this team. Then I found out that he was getting told off for trying the things that he'd learnt and got him spotted in the first place. One of them was using his soul, trying yeah. to use soul roles to beat players, step over on the edge of his own box, that type of thing. And it was all getting all the good work we put in that got in there was getting coached out of him. Um, so the warning bells were there, and then there was other stories like that too. Then Charlie Webster bowled in. We've already talked about him. Yeah. And I saw what I thought was unbelievable potential. And of course, he got really, really good, and we kind of kept it a bit quiet for a while. Um, and of course, he turned around and said to his parents, I want to play some real matches now, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I was so terrified that he would end up at one of these clubs. Or not even clubs, because I'm not going to tar clubs, because there's different managers at different age oh, there's groups. There's some great grassroots There's some great grassroots teams managers clubs, out there. Yeah, yeah. Some really, really good ones. Pete Cross, big shout-out to him at Alderbury, yeah. who I think is perfect. But I was so terrified of him ending up with one of those managers that might coach out of him that uniqueness and that specialness. I was going to say a gift, but actually he just got it through his own hard work. Yeah. So it wasn't natural talent walked in he actually had a bit of good natural movement from playing tennis and he just took to the training and he was just going up levels and levels and levels and I thought fair play he wants to play in a team I can't have it so I set up pretty much a club and there was others as well and they'll know who they are who then got asked to play for that club and it was literally to protect them from other people and to date of the 11 we had six of that original team have signed pro contracts at professional clubs and I think five of the six are still there might even be more now I'm not sure but anyway that's by the by because I forgot what the actual question was again Jeffrey. difference between our individual training and uh... yes and it, and it literally is just a mindset one's a team training with a group to try and an objective one's the process to get children good at football and they marry up pretty well as long as one doesn't try and coach out of them the other and then you, you you really are flying if you've got a good grassroots manager who lets you try things and has a real nice attitude about learning from your own mistakes. And not a win-at-all-costs culture, which is what was yeah. perhaps undoing the, all these kids' hard work that were leaving our yeah. sessions to go and play their grassroots football. And I, I'm going to stick up for grassroots managers and coaches a little bit because I've been there and it's really, really difficult. You need a medal for it, I think, everyone. You know, good or bad ones. You do it for the right reasons you're doing it voluntary and there's a lot of effort goes in behind the scenes and you're under pressure it doesn't matter whether you're at man united or whether you're at some village team we you're, say the dog and duck the dog and duck yeah. yeah i was gonna say dog and duck because yeah. we're dealing with kids but yeah that's exactly it um you're under pressure to win games because parents expect it the children want it the parents expect it and you're immediately under pressure so your mindset focuses on how are we going to win the next game and it's natural, and I've been there, and I've got sucked in, and I've made terrible decisions as a grassroots manager because I wanted to win a game because I didn't like the opposite manager because he'd said something in the last game, or you know, or even if I felt the kids deserved to win a game for all their hard work. Yeah, the mindset changes, um, and if you lose two or three games on the trot, even at under sevens, under eights, parents start questioning why. Then they start throwing in their ten pennies worth of how you can win a game, positions, training, who should be playing there. My tiny Tim's best mate's really good. We should be signing him. Yeah. And if you're still losing some games, they leave. Yeah. They go and find somewhere else with the glory team where they're actually winning games. And although they might be winning games, the grandest thing I can say in life is there's no point in being leading 2-0 at half-time, metaphorically, and ending up losing the game, which is what a lot of these teams are who win every game and win all these trophies and medals and all that. They end up with a shelf full of them like we have here. And that's it, they're done, because they'll never go on to fulfil their potential, because their focus has always been that, and not the continual desire of individual improvement, day on, day out. It's not the question, but good advice is perhaps be be wary of the the team that's trying to put together a, a super team that's going to go and win loads of trophies, and perhaps yeah. look for look for development community clubs now are we going here yeah. yeah okay we're going there it's really easy to get sucked into you want the best you want the best for your kids especially if you've got a kid in the team you want to win games you start looking for better players and then you're just recruiting all the time so again this goes back to the mindset about winning games a lot of managers will do it and they'll say they're doing it because playing with and against better players is going to improve everyone and develop and the ones that aren't up to that level should be playing together at their own standard to help them out. And now there's some merit in that. I get it. But if your mindset is just focused on that winning, proving yourself and proving the kids in better leagues and winning matches and maybe winning trophies, your mindset's gone too far one way. Um, and we, we, obviously we could talk about the ones that then get left behind in B teams and what mm. damage it can do to them. There is no magic formula to it, though. It has to be well thought out and it has to be honest. If you're going to go down that road of A's and B teams or getting rid of players, and I don't think morally anyone should ever be got rid of or told they're not good enough, but it's frustrating for a manager 
if you've got five players who are really really good and you've got two or three who are only there for a bit of childcare or just because they quite like hanging out with their friends and being cool and then at the weekend you lose or draw and you think oh we would have won if I'd have just kept my starting team out there but I have to rotate these and be fair I get it it's really really frustrating but you have to put your ego to one side and you have to put your parents egos to one side but what happens is then they think, well, we'll take those five and I know five from another team that are really good. We'll put them together and we'll have this wonderful dream team that solves all the problems. It doesn't. That's the biggest difference between what we do. There's no egos, is there? There's no. No. There's nothing to worry about. Well, because we haven't got the team, we're not trying to win yeah. games. So the ego is taken totally out of it. And if you bring your child to Pez, as you know, every child matters and we try our best for the four corners that we've talked yeah. about before, technically, psychologically, socially, and physically, we take all that into account for the best of your individual child. Every child matters. Whereas in team environment, children can get left behind. Yeah, well, the team matters in a team environment. It's, it's, it's simple. It does yeah. exactly what it says. There's nothing wrong with that. And it, to be honest, to do what we do as part of a team, you'd have to put on an extra training session a week. Well, next to two training sessions a week, you know, it's difficult. So you, quite rightly, team training should be about the team, but have a concern and a care and a duty of care for the individuals within it. And we just offer that process of the training. So, And I know a lot of managers have embraced it in their time and actually sent their children to us because they're like, well, you know, I don't know enough about it and I just organise them as a team to help win the games at the weekend and you're actually doing all the hard work of making them good at football. Brilliant, but some managers that see it as a threat for some reason. I can never really understand why. Again, it might be an ego thing where I'm the manager, all the training should be done by me, and I should be shown that I can cope with it. And it's all the successes are down to me then. Whereas if you come to Pezzas, or your children come to Pezzas, it might be then, oh, well, they got good because they went there, and your ego can't take that. I don't know, I'm throwing it out there, but it's, it's um, something that we've encountered quite a lot so team training is an outcome Pezzas is the process that's it I was going to say in a nutshell but that was about the longest question I think we've ever answered cool happy yes okay well I think we'll leave it there that was part three of the Pezzas coaching special of the Inner Huddle see you next time the Inner Huddle from Pezzas Street Soccer